0: Greetings listeners, Jonathan Harding here on Culture Club. Netflix got its start in the late 90s as a movie rental service that didn't have physical branches. You signed on to their subscription service and through their website could order rental VHS and DVD copies of a wide variety of movies and series, which would then be sent through the mail to your address. They didn't even have a returns policy there wasn't really any way for them to retrieve what they send out. Honestly, it's a wonder they managed to stick around for as long as they did. And even though they never offered the service outside of the United States and Canada, as far as I can tell, it is one that still stands to this day. Only now they offer both digital and physical rentals, as well as their now premier product, a streaming service. For the longest time, big tech companies like Microsoft and Sony have been looking for faster and faster ways to get their products into consumers' hands, and consumers' money into their pockets. And nowhere is this more evident than in their gaming offers, as both have subscription-based streaming services dedicated to video games. Sony launched PlayStation Now in 2014, with Microsoft launching their Xbox Game Pass in 2017, costing $20 and $10 respectively. Then there's Google, who isn't actually a game developer or publisher, but they figured they'd take a crack at it anyway. You see, PlayStation Now and and Game Pass are limited to their publishers' respective consoles, PlayStation Now won't work on an Xbox console, and the same is true of Game Pass on a PlayStation, though both services do work on PC. Google saw this as a problem they could solve, but instead of working with anyone, they decided to simply substitute with their own solution. So, in November of 2019, they launched Google Stadia. Marketed as a virtual console, essentially just some designated space in a server, Stadia costs $10 a month minimum, there is a more expensive package, and gives you access to a library of currently 167 titles, any and all of which could be streamed to anything Stadia would run on. It could run through Google Chrome on your computer, it has an Android app, and will run on anything that you can plug a Chromecast into, so most smart televisions... As an aside, PlayStation Now, I believe, has a library of 800 titles, including uh, older PlayStation games, but nothing from the PlayStation 1. Uh, The list does grow and shrink depending on business deals and whatnot. Um, Games are usually only available there for a certain amount of time. Uh, Game Pass, I believe, has a little over 200 titles available, but the list is constantly growing, and those titles are permanently available. Like, they're there. Both services allow you to actually download the game so you don't need an internet connection all the time, which is fantastic. But as with all product launches, it had a litany of problems. The streaming itself was unreliable. Sometimes it would work perfectly on your cell phone while on the train. Other times you could have your computer plugged directly into your fiber line and you'd be playing little more than a slideshow. The delay between input and game feedback was far larger than advertised. The game library was several titles short of what was promised for launch day. I believe it was like, I think it was like 27 titles at launch, and then they pushed it up to like 30 a week later, and no one was impressed. But anyway, Um, and to top it all off, Stadia's business model became a major problem for many. When you pay for a subscription service, you expect that to be the one and only payment you have to make for this service. Not so for Stadia. Where PlayStation Now and Game Pass simply give you access to their libraries, allowing you to play whichever games you'd like for as long as you like, provided you remain subscribed to their service, Stadia made you pay full price for each and every game you wanted to play through their service. Now, in concept, that doesn't sound terrible considering what you're really subscribing for is a virtual console, but then this becomes an issue of ownership, because you don't actually own the games you pay for through the service. They're virtual copies of games on a virtual console. When Stadia one day inevitably shuts down, those games go with it, games that you paid $60 a piece for. As an aside, at least with services like Steam or uh, GOG Galaxy, you can download the game directly off of the service. Or rather, they're not streaming services, they're storefronts. But you buy digital copies of the game and you get to download them. And if Steam ever were to shut down, they would probably say, hey, okay cool, download your entire library, that's yours forever. GOG actually doesn't have DRM. There's no digital rights protection on any game that you buy from them. You can make up as as many copies of those as you want, so they can shut down and you keep all your games. Over and above this where other game streaming services allow you to download their games. uh Aha. Stadia has no such functionality, meaning that if the internet goes down, your game goes with it. Google's idea was that people would pay for Stadia as a product, not as a service. But as far as most consumers are concerned, products with come with once-off payments. Services have subscriptions attached to them. On top of that, they forgot that they wouldn't just be competing with other game streaming services. PlayStation Now and Xbox Game Pass are limited to computers and to their respective consoles. So, the household. The vast majority of Stadia subscribers were not casual consumers, they were gamers people who already have one of the previously mentioned game streaming services. One of those consoles would probably already be plugged into the television, and both services work on PC anyway. Now, if you point this out to Stadia, they'll say that this is why their service is available on mobile. But that comes with a whole host of other problems, because then they're competing with the already well-established mobile gaming market, and with social media. On console or on mobile, these are captive audiences to be sure, but they're audiences that have been captivated by other companies. Pair this with the fact that most mobile games are perfectly suited for being on the move. Individual sessions rarely take more than 10-15 to minutes, but the games Stadia had were designed for console and PC gamers. These games were catered towards lengthier gaming sessions, an hour at minimum in many cases. Now, I don't know about you, but traffic on a Monday morning won't have you sitting perfectly still for over an hour, at least. Not unless something absolutely terrible's happened. Google Stadia was a flop, and it seems they're slowly starting to realise this. For a long time, outside of the occasional free game announcement, Stadia had gone quiet for the majority of 2020, leaving their customers high and dry with regards to updates and news outside of their announcements of opening their first two game development studios, one in November of 2019 and the next in March of 2020. Just recently, though, they've made another announcement. They're shutting down their internal game development studios. Something Stadia really lacks are exclusive titles. Games made only for it that aren't available anywhere else. Because if those games are available elsewhere, then what's the point? But without any first-party studios, they're not going to be getting any exclusives anytime soon, unless they cut some deals. I'm about to explain why they're bad at that, too. These studios were small. Those who worked there were skilled individuals, no doubt, and whatever projects they've been working on for the last year have just been canned. Imagine spending an entire year learning to work with a new toolset, a new workflow, a new team. To create something entirely new and different only for it to get thrown down the drain because your boss can't make their service an enticing one, or a functional one. I suppose the only fortunate part of this story is that Google has stated they're making an effort to place these developers into other positions and roles at the company that will suit them, so at the very least they're not suddenly jobless. Google's new game plan seems to be, according to them, on improving Stadia as a platform, something they should have done before it released, and improving their third-party support. And as I just mentioned, there's a problem there. They've got a long way to go on that first point, and they're already failing at the second. Just recently, a few days ago as of recording this, Andrew Spinks, that's S-P-I-N-K-S, CEO of Game Developer and Developer, ReLogic and co-creator of Terraria publicly cancelled the Stadia version of Terraria, as well as any future ReLogic games on Stadia. Spinks detailed on Twitter how his Google account had been suspended and that after weeks of trying to find out why, he had still gotten no response beyond the robot response of being told that he had broken one of Google's terms of service. You can tell when you're talking to a bot it is so irritating he wasn't told which term of servers just that he'd broken one of them he'd spent well over a month trying to get his account back mentioning that he had spent over one thousand dollars through that google account so that's money that he's lost but he not only cancelled terraria stadia he preemptively cancelled any further business dealings with Google specifically because of their lack of communication, stating that working with them is, and I quote, a liability. What's disconcerting is that he isn't the only developer to have this issue. Numerous other developers responded to his tweets, mentioned having the same issue. What's really worrying sorry, I'm gonna go off script again, is that all of these are indie developers. They're independents, their own little studio, maybe one or two people, maybe ten to fifteen people, you know, no publisher, no big boss, who are trying to work with Google. And these are these are all people who were supposed to be porting their games to Stadia, and now they can't, because they don't have their Google account. You might not think much of a Google account until you realise just how much you really have invested in it. Your YouTube account or channel, your social media, your email address. I imagine the liability Spinks mentioned is just that. If he can't log into his business email, ReLogic might actually lose potential future business partners in the ensuing weeks. It will remain to be seen how Google responds to everything. Their lack of communication with consumers is one thing, but to completely ignore your business partners in such a manner is neither a good look or good for business. In any case, I think this was slightly longer than the previous episode. Not sure. I can't remember how long it was. It's been a while. So, yeah, that's uh, Jonathan Harding signing off for Culture Club. Cheers.